This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rod's partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com GuideFitter.com GuideFitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. GuideFitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out GuideFitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for GuideFitter. Wireless Partners building the first net cellular network for AT&T in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont to ensure first responders can always communicate in emergency situations so you know help is on the way when you need it. Wireless Partners is partnering for success with communities, local and state government, local business, and visitors. Wireless Partners building cellular networks for you. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those 
who worked in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Episode 16, Conservation Officer Todd Shefchek, Sergeant. And if you get an opportunity to look at this podcast cover, please do. Note Todd's spelling of his last name. I've called him Alphabet. I've called him a lot of other things too. But if you look at the bat, look at his name, it's just got about every letter in the alphabet in it. So it's pretty interesting. Also, Todd's uh, picture is one of a lot of the the trophies that he so so to speak got through his career. The cases that he made on display with him. Um, I always tell people, you know, we don't hunt like we well we do hunt, but we spend a lot of time hunting poachers. Those are our trophies, and that's kind of nice to see that. Those represent cases that Todd has made in his career, some very recent, some a little older. But those are the the trophies that Todd took from the poachers, and they were no longer their trophies, and they became mementos of a lot of hard work, a lot of investigation, which is pretty neat to see. And that's what I want you to see when you look at that picture, is Todd's representing cases he's made, the poachers he's caught. He's pretty proud of that. And most game wardens are proud of the poachers that they catch. When you look at it, take a moment, please look at the cover. It's pretty interesting. And uh, think of that. Think of uh, Todd doing his work diligently and catching poachers and taking what they prize or away from them. So something else happening in the conservation officer law world. I want to make sure listeners get introduced to officers all around the country, all around the world. And you may not have an opportunity to know these guys personally or on that level, but I want to bring those to you. I want to, even if they're not on my show, I want to, if something happens to some mentionable, I want to mention it. I want you to become part of the conservation law world. So this is kind of sad in some ways and um, because retirements are a sad, they're I shouldn't say sad. They're exciting. They're sad. Uh, at least mine was. I'm not sure if it was for everybody. It's the end of a career that you love so much. And I always tell people I felt like I jumped off the cliff and I was waiting to hit. And podcasting really has helped me with not hitting. It's helped me go back into something I love very dearly, talk to those that I think the world of that do the same work and have the same drive that I did. And I enjoy hearing their stories, and I enjoy getting them out to you so you can hear their stories too. Colonel Joel Wilkinson, the main warden service, has just retired. Joel came on about the same time I did. He was probably a little bit ahead of me. And we ran into each other as young game wardens, and we'd talk and everything. So we had a good relationship. And as he climbed through the ranks, he didn't forget the little guy, and he also remembered what his goals were. And he supported the Operation Game Thieves, especially of Maine. Uh, That was his job. But he also sponsored and helped and worked as much as he could with International Wildlife Crime Stoppers because he saw the goals are the same. So if all of us work together, our goals are the same. So Joel was a leader 
in conservation law. So when you have leaders retire, it's, 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 and you see what they've done through their careers, it's kind of a sad thing, but there are qualified, highly motivated people to replace those. And I've got to remember that. Um, it, it's maybe an end of an area error, but it's a beginning of a new era as well. And that's exciting as well for somebody to come in there and hopefully fill those shoes and have the same desires. I always tried to train my subordinates, whether they were officers, my sergeant, to take my place. I think I did a good job. The sergeant that took my place, Sergeant Mark Ober, did an outstanding job. But I didn't select somebody like me. I selected somebody opposite of me. So we made a good team. I'm a talker. I'm a people person. I'm probably not as specific when it comes to paperwork. My sergeant was a guy that dotted all his I's and crossed all his T's, and he loved detail work. So that's the kind of guy that I promoted. The hardest decision I ever made as a lieutenant is tell the guy that was very similar to me, who I love very dearly and who's a very close friend, that I didn't select him as sergeant. That was a tough thing, but I wanted to balance myself, and I wanted to balance the district, and I just knew that Mark brought things to the table that I didn't. The guy that I didn't promote was very much like me, and to have two guys that are heavy on one side in traits and characters and strengths, it's that teeter-totter, and you put it all on one, and it teets too much. We need to do that balance thing, and I've always strived to do that when I was a supervisor, and I've always tried to pass that along. That's what you want to do. You want to look for the balance. The things you don't like to do, find someone that likes them and that it's good at it. And then you have a very strong organization, whether it's small organization or big organization. If you can find those people to balance your organization, you're going to do very, very well. So thank you, Colonel Joel Wilkinson, for your time, uh, your commitment to wildlife, law enforcement, on the officer when you started off as an officer, right through to Colonel. May you enjoy your retirement. And I know you like the tuna fish, and we had a podcast scheduled, and I plan on rescheduling with the former Colonel of the Maine Warden Service. He's a tuna fisherman. I guess that tuna fisherman. So that's something that interests me to talk about. He's also an accomplished hunter, and he's a He's a very genuine person. So I'm looking forward to that interview, and I hope we can schedule that and get that out. I've done several interviews with colonels that you haven't heard yet that are going to be airing, and I like to start with the top. A, it makes the guys underneath them feel comfortable about doing interviews, and it shows the colonels what I'm doing. I want to make sure they're comfortable with what I'm doing. I'm trying to promote wildlife law enforcement nationwide, worldwide, and using the officers and the stories to do it as well as the colonels and their stories to do it. So I have a lot of appreciation for the top. And if you don't have the support of the top, you you don't really have the support of anything else. So I've enjoyed those. You're going to hear some of these colonels. Colonel Eddie Henderson, Georgia, retired. I did an interview with him. Just an outstanding leader as well. And he's been involved in a lot of things Colonel Wilkinson was involved in. And they were those leaders that, that took us to the next step. And I'm looking for those leaders that are coming up through those ranks to maintain that or move us to the next step. That's a challenge. That's a challenge if you're in those shoes. So now we got to get on with uh, Todd Shefchek. Uh, and like I said, look at his name. It doesn't even look like Shefchek, but I, uh, I'll stick with Shefchek. It's easier to say than what I think it is. 
Uh, <laughs> so Todd has, has had a stellar career. He's had some interesting stories. And I think you're going to find this podcast is very similar to the Colonel and I because we have that relationship. We did a lot of things together, did a lot of things apart that Todd has some great stories about. And you're going to he- keep hearing me reference to the director story. I think I'm going to tell that story in my precursor to the next podcast. So 17, uh, look for that because I'm going to do that precursor story, I think, or maybe I'll do it in a bonus round. But regardless, Todd's got some great stories. You're going to really enjoy listening to Todd. And then we're going to have a little break and I want you to hear Todd's family. I interviewed his kids. I, after we got done with our interview, I stopped, I went out, I was chatting with the kids. They were pretty entertaining. And I'm like, you know, being a game warden is all about the family and the family support. So I'd, hey, kids, why don't we go in? And we got Lindsay, Kyle, and Brian, and we did some interviews. And we talked to them. So we're going to have a little break. I'm going to talk a little more, and then you're going to get the family. So if you don't want to listen to Todd's kids, don't feel obligated. You have to. If you really want to know the inside story of these game wardens' lives, you know, I encourage you to listen to the kids' stories. Listen to their appreciation of their father. Listen to their appreciation of his work. Kyle's one of my biggest fans, uh, Todd says. He's addicted to these podcasts. He's young. He's vibrant. He's smart. Um, it's, it's pretty an honor for me to have somebody like Kyle listening to this show because of the effect that the job had on his family. So I, I want you to hear that, and uh, I, I like to throw that out every now and then because without the support of our families, we can't do this job because it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. And if there's somebody not trying to live that lifestyle, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Maybe that'll change through the ages, but right now it's very hard to change it from being a lifestyle. When you're at Walmart, you get asked questions. People call you up and ask you questions. When you're doing other things, they see you on the street, they're asking you questions. And if you don't embrace that, you're fighting it constantly. Now, I I didn't really care for people coming to my house. My wife didn't care for that, so I, I tried to discourage that. People would show up to register bears at, at my doorstep and I wasn't there and people she doesn't know are, are knocking on the door. She didn't really care for that and I get that, so I tried to discourage that. But I wanted that relationship and I needed that support from my family to continue on. And Todd had that in his career and you're going to hear that from the kids. So without further ado, this is episode 16. It's been going fast. I have so much more already taped for you guys. The other thing is, this was my number three interview. So you might hear some quality issues with this, the, with the equipment. I have upgraded my equipment like I just keep upgrading, and my wife's ready to kill me because I keep upgrading. I just want to get the best product available out to you. I hire a producer. I have a Jay Scott, who is the Big Buck Registry podcaster, is my producer for my show. And I want to say thank you, Jay. You've done an outstanding job, standing job. And if you're interested, listen to the Big Buck Registry. It's a great show. You learn a lot about deer and deer hunting with, from some of the best in the world. So Jay's an awesome individual. He's helped me so much, and I appreciate that on this podcast because I want to bring a quality product. So I'm always upgrading my equipment. I'm hoping to get to the point where I don't have to upgrade anymore. I've got a good mixer. I've got some new headsets, new microphones. Just always upgrading so you, the listener, have a better experience because I don't want that bad quality. And I am learning like you wouldn't believe. I never thought 
I could learn so much so quick. And I've come so far, blows my mind to where I was at. And I have so much further to go. I can't do the stuff Jay does for me at this point. I want to learn it. I want to continue to learn. I got to learn the business side of this. I'm very poor at that. I've got some good sponsors. I got some great people supporting me. And that's what makes this podcast. And you know what? You make this podcast by listening to me and sharing that with your friends, saying, this guy, he tells you how it is. He tells you the backstory to the game wardens. Maybe they're all not on TV, but they all are heroes. And to hear those stories and those adventures is like living them. So share those with your friends, please. Like me on Facebook, like me on Instagram. Those are things that help support me in the long run so I can actually get you know, some of this equipment paid for, as my wife would like to see. So without further ado, you guys enjoy this. Um, last night I sat there and listened to it again, and I enjoyed it. I just, I had, I have to laugh because some of it I lived. This is, I think, our, well, no, we've had some near-death experience talks, but Todd goes through an accident he had, and had it been seconds later, it would have been a whole different story than 12 Stitches. So stay tuned. Listen up. Thank you. So today's show, I'm, I'm, I'm wicked happy to have... Uh, Somebody I came on the job with, um, and that, that's pretty cool because when you come on as a conservation officer, you, you have a former relationship with a lot of people, but the, the biggest relationship you form probably are with the guys that you came on with. You get you get a lot of history with them, and you get a lot of experience with them. Throughout your whole careers, you're bouncing stuff off each other, just like uh, Todd Shefchuk and I did for our whole careers. We'd call each other, we'd talk to each other, bounce things off. So uh, 1995, Todd. Yes. The year we got hired. That's pretty awesome. May 12th. May 12th. Yep. The, 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 the day we don't forget either. And usually we call, except you forgot a few years, call and wish ourselves a you know, happy anniversary when we were working. We're both retired now. That, that's, that's a pretty special time. And I, I'm going to let Todd talk to you about his history, where he came from. And uh, we have kind of similar backgrounds, so it, it's kind of neat in that aspect. And then and we can talk about uh, starting off our training years, Todd. Why don't you give the, everybody a, a background on you? So I actually grew up in Rochester, New York. I lived out there until I was 12. And uh, eighth grade, moved to Connecticut, uh, Madison, Connecticut, right on the shoreline. So had some good experiences with the salt water there and knew I wanted to be a game warden when I was pretty young. First, I wanted to be a vet. Then I heard, geez, there's a lot of school. <laughs> yeah, Probably, tell, my, you know, tell my son that, please. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, no, nah, I don't want to do that because I didn't really like school all too much. Um, but then I heard about a game warden. You know, my dad was a big hunter and fisherman, and we were always doing something. And I think probably when I was six or so, him and a couple of his buddies bought some land uh, in the Finger Lakes for hunting. And we used to go down there and just explore, you know, and find salamanders, fish, dead things, whatever, smash up trees, and just really uh, enjoyed the outdoors. And I heard about this game warden guy and kind of watch out for the game warden at some point too um it would sound like geez that sounds like a pretty good job when i moved to connecticut um not a lot of my friends did that stuff in connecticut um some did in new york so i kind of forged my own way and i knew i wanted to go into that and i looked at schools and ended up at the university of new hampshire uh for wildlife management did you have any interaction with game wardens prior to going to college i uh, never saw one wow uh no i do remember just a biologist coming into one of my classrooms and I uh, 
third or fourth grade, maybe, uh-huh. uh, with some animals. They had an official uniform on, but I know it wasn't a game warden. Right. And that was like, oh, that's awesome. And uh, I don't remember really the first day I said I want to be a game warden, but it was when I was young, you know, yeah. before I was eight. University of New Hampshire Wildlife Management, enjoyed that. And while I was there, we took a law enforcement class um, by Dave Swenson, who was a U.S. Fish and Wildlife retired special agent. Through that class... They usually have really good stories, too, the special oh, yeah, agents. Yeah, he had a book that he had written. Really? Um, nice. Which was part of his class, of course, that you course. rented. And it was yeah. short stories. Yeah. Can you imagine if Pat Bosco taught a class? Uh, it'd be too long. It would be too long. Yeah, yeah it'd be. You'd have to take yeah. it three years in advance. Yes. And- <laughs> Uh, so he had a class at University of Massachusetts for the National Park Service um, to be a law enforcement park ranger. So I said, well, that's right up what I want to do to be a good stepping stone. So I went and took that, uh, which was a 300-hour class, and it included firearms, and it qualified you to work as a law enforcement ranger with the Park Service. And I did the same thing in North Carolina, so down in Cullowee, North Carolina. So I uh, became a... Uh, park ranger, law enforcement, some pretty awesome training when I was in North Carolina. I'm sure yours was similar in Massachusetts. There was some real law enforcement training that went on in Silva. I was uh, quite impressed with uh, the way their program went. So Yeah, and I, w- I mean, I hadn't been exposed to that stuff, and it taught everything that you wanted to do and be, and so it was a good first experience. And some of the people from that class I'm still friendly with and worked with later where Did I some got, stay in the Park Service? Um, yes. Um, I know of one that had a career with the Park Service, and then a couple went on to work from the Park Service to Fish and Wildlife Service. Yeah. And other states, Rhode Island. I, I wish you went to North Carolina because I learned a lot about North Carolina in the same way. So yeah. it, was a, it, was, it was a really – I got some great stories about going to Silva, North Carolina. So being a Yankee, that is. So yeah. uh, I had these two girls we went out to lunch with one time, and it was me and two guys from Jersey. Yeah, and we went in this place. They had two things on the menu, Todd, and both of them had black-eyed peas. <laughs> so, and the smoke hung about mid-level of the little. And as soon as I opened my mouth to talk, everybody stopped in the restaurant, and they all looked. And I was like, the guys from Jersey, you know, out. yeah, the guys from Jersey, are like, uh, what's going to happen now? <laughs> but it was it was kind of cool. Everybody was friendly, and the food was awesome. And uh, yeah, I just I'll never forget that. But um, yeah, so my park service uh, training, I'm sure, was a little different than yours. But uh, it was just it was cool to experience a new culture, and uh, especially being a Yankee in the South. So uh, it was exciting. So yeah, Massachusetts probably would have been a better choice for me. Yeah. <laughs> Would have I been about the same it. time as well. I mean, I took that class, I think, in 89, maybe. Might have been 90. Mine was 90. Yeah. Yeah. I graduated in 90, so I would have took it, like, yeah, 90, 91. So, yeah. So, it's about the same time. So, when I graduated from that class, um, that first summer, I didn't get a job for the Park Service. I worked for the state of Connecticut at Hammond Acid State Park, which was right in the town that I lived in. And... Uh, was a park aide, they called them, and kind of assisted the park rangers. Did whatever they told you to do. Right. Yeah, you weren't armed, but you were, I think we had pepper spray and a baton. Really? And uh, worked mostly midnights because I was a low man on the totem pole. That sucks. But the next year, went on to work for the National Park Service at Cape Cod National Seashore. Nice. Um, And that was really where I got my law enforcement start and worked there two seasons. The second season, I worked through the hunting season. 
Oh. Which was a great experience. I didn't even know they had hunting on Cape Cod on the National Park. Yeah, they stock pheasants out there. Really? Um, yeah. There's do you know if they do that today? Herd. They still do. Excellent. Yeah. And they have a good deer herd out there. And mm-hmm. uh, I actually, when I was out there, I ended up uh, shooting a deer. Nice. Uh, if anyone knows Pilgrim Pond right behind that. Uh, when you come down from Truro. And when I was at Assateague Island National Seashore, they, they had hunting seasons well down for the Sitka deer. And they didn't have a whitetail season at the time when we used to go up the up the island and, and shine and hole the, the the whitetail bucks that were there were enormous. The racks were enormous. The deer weren't. They weren't, you know, New England deer, but right. they were uh, they were enormous racks and because they'd never been hunted. And it was just, it was pretty, pretty cool. Now they have a whitetail season down in Assateague, but very similar island experiences. So no Sitka deer in Cape Cod? No. 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 Bit of rabbit. Had the Portuguese guys that always came from uh, like New Bedford, Massachusetts with like 15 dogs running there. To mix them with their gravy. Yeah. <laughs> running, the, <laughs> running the rabbits. and Yeah. Oh, there was always a rumor that they would uh, cut the bird shot a little bit. So if they saw a deer, they could uh, <laughs> yep. hit it with like a slug, a slug, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and always thought about it, but never caught anyone doing that. And, and, who knows and so really everybody did. knows, I, uh, sometimes they would take a, a, a pocket knife and cut uh, a hatch right after where the powder is, so the whole uh, shell casing would come loose and act like a slug, basically. Yeah. So it'd be one giant piece. One instead. giant piece right. that would hit a, a large mammal like a deer and kill him. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that ever... I never had a case that that happened, did you? No, no. It was just a... a I don't even know to watch anybody, out for down there, and yeah. who knows if it ever happened. But. I might have to try it now just to see if it works. Yeah. So... So I worked uh, for a gentleman, uh, Gene Valley. Um, he was the, uh, I don't even remember what they called him, but he was the head ranger there and um, real good guy and uh, treated all us. We were basically young 20-year-old law enforcement kids mm-hmm. um, and gave us a lot of leeway in what we did and, you know, mentored us a bit. Um, I So I worked there that two seasons, then I got hired uh, as a police officer in Milford, New Hampshire. Um, I went to the police academy with... A couple of then to be New Hampshire game wardens, which made me jealous as hell. Yeah, because that's what you wanted to be, right? And oh, Milford was kind of a stepping stone into that. Oh, huh? definitely. Yeah. Um, I knew I didn't want to be a police officer for my whole career, and I hope that didn't happen. And I was lucky enough to get on two and a half years later with fishing game in New Hampshire um, as a conservation officer, and was really excited about it. And, but the stuff uh, you learned at Milford PD was probably priceless, huh? Oh, yeah. The, all the little things helped me along the way. The Park Service, being a police officer, all good stepping stones. Building blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now Fishing Game didn't have to send me to the police academy, so I yeah, was a little Yeah, that's why ahead. I end up going alone, thanks a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah my academy experience. You needed it. You needed it. Mating <laughs> of moose calls, you know. Just, just so everybody knows, if a Fishing Game guy goes to New Hampshire Police Academy, usually they stand out. For some reason, somehow... So uh, I did mating moose calls all the way through my academy, thanks to you. And I, no, no one else was there to take it because I was the only fishing game guy. So, you know, that, that, was, that was my – my mother thought when I was graduating, you know, they were booing me when they were all doing mating moose calls because that <laughs> – every time uh, it was my turn, they'd say, Saunders, sound off, and I'd have to come up with a mating moose call because so, I was the only fish cop there. Yeah, so thanks, Todd. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that. So I do remember a couple of things from when we came on, um, <laughs> like... Just a couple? Yes. Okay. They sent us up to Pittsburgh, the, obviously the most northern town in New Hampshire, to paint the camp that the department owned. And uh, we started with another gentleman, uh, yeah, 
Sam Sprague. Yes, yeah, Sam Sprague. Yeah. I was going to say Wayne Saunders. Yeah. Um, I was there too. Yes. So we painted the camp half the day. We went out yeah. to Remember eat. what color that camp was? It was green. Wasn't no, it was it? eggshell blue. No. Remember the first coat we put on? It was all showing through. It, no. We were supposed to be done in like three days. I think we spent three days painting. It was crazy because it was eggshell blue and we couldn't get, it would always show through. It was driving me nuts. I know that. Well, so. I remember the lieutenant of the area went fishing to see how the camp was going to look. And we waited <laughs> all day and we still didn't change color. And he was, next day he was all mad. He was mad. You know, yeah. only Lieutenant Stoll would sit out there and watch it to see if he could change, change color because he wanted to make sure we were working and not sitting out having a bonfire and, and tilting them back or anything. So. Um, we had to work on the sides, though, not the front. So uh, I think but, that was Wayne's idea. To, yep. It probably was. Yep. So uh, I'll take the heat on that. So but. we went out to eat, and uh, Sam wanted to get a picture of a moose for his kids. Mm. And he goes, can one of you guys drive? And Wayne volunteered me right away. And I'm like, well. I Did I really care. volunteer you? Oh, I yeah, said, Toddle do you? Yeah, Toddle yeah. do it. Okay. So I jump in the I was car. in the back seat. I mean, I took like, we took Sam's cruiser. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Blazer. Blazer, yep. Ford Blazer. No, Chevy Blazer. Oh, are you sure Chevy it was a Blazer. Chevy Blazer, yes. not a Ford Bronco? Yep. Okay, Chevy. I'll give it to you, Chevy Blazer. So we're driving. Uh, it wasn't even a mile from this restaurant, and all of a sudden, out of the woods comes this moose. There it Full was. Speed. I remember it. I saw it coming. I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> I tried everything to miss this moose. I moved off the shoulder. I slowed down. The thing was, like, tracking me. It was like a freaking I rocket. I can still see it. As it slams go, into your side door. Oh, right in the window. As the eyeball sticks to the right, window. I could see the eyeball was right even with my face. It was, it was. And when it hit, it didn't just hit and bounce off. It rolled off the side. All the way down the All the way down the whole thing. Dented yeah. all the quarter panels. You remember what I said after? I said to you, you know, if you would have sped up, you would have missed it. And you lost it on me. You were like, what the heck? So what's the moose do? It doesn't get knocked down or anything. Just goes up on the hill, sits there and starts chewing its cud, looking at me like, that was fun. They're tough animals. As the whole side of your cruiser's all yeah. dented up. And we had to call Chief LaPointe. Yeah. And then uh, you got to report it to the lieutenant. Report, and yeah. we hadn't even been on two weeks yet. Two weeks. Glad yeah. you were driving. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Well, yeah, that was a good call. <laughs> so I'm glad I wasn't driving. I would have sped up and I would have missed the moose. All right, yeah. sure. <laughs> Backseat oh, driver. So back, I, uh, there's nothing else before we get a sign, though, is there? No, no other interesting stories. Uh, not that I recall at this yeah, minute. Just me and the Academy doing mating moose calls still. So Yes. But, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a cool thing, you know, that we do. Um, and I think, I, I think they do it still. They did it a lot as we went through is send up trainees together to pittsburgh to hang out to kind of bond together and I, I i think that's what happened i think we we bonded you me and sam uh we became pretty good friends and uh that was kind of a good thing through our careers so you and i finished ours sam you know took a detour so but um yeah you know. just like i mean we were always bouncing stuff off of each other and uh yeah. telling stories and you do that with the guys in your area too but yeah i mean we I think we did that. More and it became some. nice as we became older game wardens and could bounce stuff off because we had that experience. And, you know, run scenarios by me, I tell you my opinions, and vice versa. I'd run scenarios by you, you'd give me your opinions. And certainly had a lot of weight in what I did because I respected your opinion because I, you know, you know, we came on together, we worked together, and, uh, you know, we, we, knew, uh, we knew our strengths, our weaknesses. And, uh, 
yeah, it was a good good relationship. So I, I hope that the guys that come on and are able to build those bonds are, you know, can can bounce those things off because I think it's it's really great. So and I think a lot of trainees get sent to Pittsburgh to work on our camp just for that reason. Sure. So and it's worked out, I think. Yeah, I mean, I our areas were completely different areas. Very. Oh, uh, up north in New Hampshire is a lot different than southern. <laughs> part and no doubt. you know they call my area alligator country because everyone's running around like a chicken with their head cut off and, yeah uh, a lot more people but a lot of wildlife here too and i mm-hmm. i can't sit still so i was always happy with being down here i got assigned to the milford area where i had worked as a police officer so i had connections already which was nice. very helpful mm-hmm. and it's right on the massachusetts line so I had the influx of Massachusetts hunters that would come in and uh, made for interesting cases and interesting uh, interactions because with that state boundary, they sometimes will come up and go, I'm only here for two hours. If, as long as I make it over the line, I'm safe. Yeah. Uh, which wasn't always the case. You um, are a so. very active game warden. I will say that. I've always been impressed with your caseload and what you pushed yourself to do. So, you know, you you had a highlight you can you can share with us? Well, you know, you asked me, like, hey, think of some good cases you have, and you, a lot of go through your mind. And, of course, the ones that got away are always, like, right on the tip of your tongue, like, uh, oh, you. I missed that one. I should have had it. I did this wrong, or I needed it, to do that. Because it burns. It burns. It, it, yeah. it just it sucks to let one get away. It, yeah. it, it, it will always burn. I remember the ones that I didn't make more than I once I made. So Sometimes it comes back to haunt a guy, though. I uh, recalled one where... A gentleman, I believe, shot a deer in Massachusetts, and he brought it up and gutted it in New Hampshire. And I was sure of it. I went back to where he said he had killed it. No drag marks, no nothing. There was a gut pile right where the road comes. You know, it was a farmer's field, and it went to the edge of the farmer's field, and that's where the gut pile was. No drag mark, no nothing. Um, And he had an alibi. This gentleman mm. gave him an alibi, and I couldn't disprove his alibi because it was two against my word. Right. And uh, so I always remembered what happened. I remembered who the witness was. Mm-hmm. Well, several years later, the witness um, got arrested for growing some marijuana in his house, and uh, so he was a felon, and I knew about it. So another couple of years later, I know he's a felon. He registers a deer. So in New Hampshire... People here know that you have to register your deer. You go to a registration station to check it in, and they ask you a series of questions on what you killed it with. One of which is, yeah. Yeah, so he killed it with a muzzleloader. So ironically, Massachusetts, which has much stricter gun laws than New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. you can hunt with a muzzleloader if you're a felon. New Hampshire, you cannot because New Hampshire considers it a firearm. Firearm, yep. So I knew this was going on. I go, oh, this is beautiful. I know where he's living. He's living in New Hampshire. We're going to do a search warrant for this muzzleloader at his house. So I contacted the local police department, Brookline Police Department. They were happy about it. Uh, we got a bunch of guys together, got the search warrant signed for uh, the muzzleloader in, in his house. Um, we didn't know what we'd find there. We were certainly sure that we'd find the muzzleloader. Um, so when we went, um, we so you, you gather how many people at the PD or whatever you make. There a was four of us, yeah, yeah and and myself. Yep. So not went. a not a big search warrant. I mean, four people. That's significant, but it's not you know pulling out right. all the stops. Yep. So. And we were familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Um. So two of us went to the front door and two watched the back of the house to make sure nothing happened mm-hmm. coming out the back. So we knocked and announced, and no one came. And 
we saw a body go flying through the hallway in the back. We could see flashes of the person going as he went. And we had a ram, so we rammed the front door open um, because he didn't come to the door. And he goes flying out the back where we had another gentleman waiting. Uh And he sees him with a big, giant bag of a vegetative material. And he throws that. Otherwise known of marijuana. Marijuana, yes. (laughs) And he throws that uh, into like a little fridge like he was going to hide it. And then he keeps running, and I believe they ended up spraying him. We pepper spraying him. Yeah, arrested him. So then we go in, we see the marijuana, and now because he found the, more than just that bag, he had no. Th- okay, we, he had the bag, so now we had to stop. Okay, because now we have another reason to search outside further. the scope of your search of our, So yep. we detain him, make search the house to make sure there's no other people in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get another search warrant. So you go to the to judge for to drugs. update the search yes. warrant for drugs because yep. since he just brought out a whole bunch more, so. During that search warrant, we find scales and nice. $70,000. Uh, wow. He yeah. was a dealer. Yep. Yep. Wow. So, um, now, did they have any expectation that he was a dealer, or was this a surprise? Um, well, no, it was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Because he did have that previous growing, mm-hmm. and I don't know what... I just know he got convicted of that case. Right. I don't know that... He was dealing that, or if it was for personal use. But they weren't use. expecting to find scales or seventy grand oh, in cash. No, no, and all that got forfeited because of the federal drug laws, which yeah. was great. It went back to police and, department. Yep, and uh, too bad you couldn't get it for fishing game. He was convicted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. So what so are you doing? Was, You're running was, out of the back door with a big bag of marijuana, yes, and there's yes. two police officers there to meet you. You know, yeah, yeah. and wow, yeah. He just looked at me when uh, after he was. You know, pepper sprayed, and he said, "You could have just come to the door. I would have given you the gun." And I said, "Well, we would have never got know, the marijuana. I didn't then. know if we were going to get the. <laughs> I didn't know if we were going to get the gun. Yeah, so we, we don't plan on what what we, you do after the fact. We right. plan on what you're doing. So, right. so always uh, load for bear, and you know, hopefully, you know, I, I don't know how many search warrants I've knocked and said, "Hey, you know, uh, this is what we're looking for. Can you give it to us?" And, and sometimes they will, or they'll, they'll. I'm looking for this gun. Do you want me to rip through all the drawers? Do you want me to look for every place for this gun, or do you want to just give it to me? Right. And 90, 99% of the time, they go get the gun, and they bring it to you. If he had come to the door, mm-hmm. yeah, I would have said, hey, we're here for this gun. And we end up finding a twenty two rifle there, too, as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would have been simple. Yeah, it would have been simple. But, hey, that, that's good. You, you, got your, you got all the st- goods, and uh, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, actually, after... <laughs> Some years, I think that uh, he was fine with everything and realized that he had screwed up. And I don't, I know he hasn't been in trouble since. Nice, nice. So. That's that's. So you might have changed his course of life. That's yeah. that's pretty impressive. Made quite a good picture though with all the stuff that we confiscated I, on the I table. I can't imagine <laughs> the guy with a big bag of marijuana running out the back right to the police officers. Yeah, you know, yep. uh, that, that, that's too funny. That never happened to me. But it so. came back to haunt him of not not cooperating the first time, being that witness. Right. It was like karma. Yep, exactly. Yep. Uh, wow. So was that early on in your career, about midway? No, that was about midway, midway. I, I would say, yeah. 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 So fish and wildlife cases, and you know I, you know what I remember well, you as is the investigator, because you loved an investigation, and the other thing, you wouldn't let it go. Three years out, at, before the statute of limitations hit, you'd be pawing through your cases, which that just wasn't my forte. If I didn't get them in the first 48, they were probably pretty safe. Well, time, what happens with time is people forget their lies. They, uh, they 
you know, make a good lie in the beginning, and you know, lots of times it's BS, mm-hmm. but you can't quite nobody get lies, that edge. Nobody lies to the police. Oh yeah, right. Nobody lies to game warden. Nobody. So yeah, that's that's they one li- thing Northwoods law teaches everybody. Everybody I- lies to the game warden. <laughs> Having experience in both sides as a police officer, then as a conservation officer, no doubt about it, I got lied to more as a conservation officer than I did a police officer. Oh, really? No question about it. Huh. Uh, yeah. And, well, I and it's simple things. Story. I mean, fishing. I, I'm driving down the road, and out goes a beer can out the window. So I pull the guy over. I said, you know why I'm pulling you over? He goes, no. I said, you threw the beer can out the window. No, I didn't throw a beer can out the window. I'm like, no, I, I, I saw you throw the beer can out the window. No, I didn't throw a beer can out the window. I'm like, no, you didn't hear me. I saw you throw that beer can out the window. I didn't. So I wrote him. I went back. I got the beer can, and he paid it. But I just, I watched it happen, and he tells me he didn't do it. I'm like, it was just seconds ago. Just it kills me. So that's one of my lying stories. Oh, and I've just, had simple ones fishing with a license. I watched them do it. Yeah, you know, it, it's simple. I watched them. Yeah, I, and I'm glad you said that because it was this was a simple one. My father had bought me these binoculars that recorded. Oh, I remember when recorded, you got those. You yes. were all excited. And they had a little display screen yeah. on them. Uh, and they worked pretty well. Yeah. So I'm going out and I'm hell-bent for letter to get a case with these things. <laughs> and it's something simple. It was across the pond. Mm. And I'm oh, I'm going to record this. Had a little SD card. And oh, I record <laughs> it. And oh, this is great. I go over and I wasn't fishing. I go, you were too. I watched you for, oh, no, wasn't me. I go, <laughs> okay, well, yeah. let's watch it because I got a video of it right here. And this was really before video cameras yeah. were getting really good, too. Yeah. And we watched it, and he just sunk his head, and he got the ticket, and that was the end of that. He, of course, paid it. But Yeah. It just, it just kills me, the lies. that, And then you get the guy that tells the truth, and you give him a break because you don't hear it very often. Yeah, right. But uh, I had a night hunting case that was kind of interesting, and it wasn't even my day on. Yeah. In, in my day off, I was heading in my caravan. Um, <laughs> I remember this one. Out to a hunting spot, and I'm... Yeah, you know, I'll get in there maybe an hour before legal shooting hours. And it's a relatively rural road in one of my smaller towns in Mason, New Hampshire. And I see like flashes of light in the trees. I'm like, what's that? Maybe, oh, someone beat me by a hunting spot. I'm pissed that someone's going to be parking where I'm going to park. And they just pulled in right before me. Well, I make the crest of the, the hill and there's a car coming towards me and I don't see any other lights. I'm like, oh, that was weird. Maybe he was just turning around. I don't know. And then it hit me, oh, he's shining. And he goes by me, and I don't put on my brakes because I don't want to alert him. I just coast to a stop, and um, I kind of put it in gear so it wouldn't put on the, the brake lights. And then all of a sudden, he was probably 200 yards down the road. I see the spotlight come out one side of the car, and then it goes the other. And I'm like, he is freaking night hunting. <laughs> so I let him go around the curve, and I whip it around. I head, head after him at Mach 3 because there's going to be just down the road in the caravan in the caravan no blue lights well uh, of course and um i'm worried that he's going to get to the next intersection i'm not going to know which way he goes Mm -hmm. and i get to him right at the intersection and i start flashing my high beams i don't i'm just winging it i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm starting flashing my high high beams at him and he pulls over and i pull right in front of him and cut him off like you would maybe with like you would with a cruiser or if someone was running from you here's this caravan cutting him off so oh, I come out with my just my badge and my wallet. No adrenaline, huh? Uh, and I yell at him who I am and what oh. I'm doing. And yeah. let me see your hands. And he goes, Todd, is that you? And I go, yeah. And I said his name. I know who he was. I'm like, what are you doing? And he doesn't have time to think about what's going on. Yeah. He goes, I'm just looking for big deer. 
I go, I bet you are. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I, he's got his muzzle loader right there. It's muzzle loading season. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's all ready to go. And he, I wasn't going to shoot anything. I'm like, well, if you saw a big one, you may have. Right. So I take the stuff. I'm like, hey, you're getting a ticket for night hunting, but uh, obviously I don't have my tickets with me to write you anything and arrest you or whatever. So I took everything and you took his you took his hunting license with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And his muzzle loader and the spotlight. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, I'm off for a day. So I'm going to meet you at your house Monday morning or whatever day it was. Mm-hmm. 8 a.m. He goes, all right. He's had a day and a half to think about it. So when I get to his house, he's like, you know, I wasn't looking for deer. I wasn't going to shoot deer. I was really worried about the horses in the area because they get mm-hmm. loose a lot. And I wanted to make sure when I went to my hunting spot that the there was horses. no horses were going to come and bother me. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, it took you two days to think of that. Think about the excuse. horses. Yeah, yes. That, that, that's definitely pretty bad. Yes. So yeah. um, needless to say. He did plead not guilty originally, but ended up changing his plea and was found guilty of that. But it was kind of a funny day off and my big caravan stop. Yeah, no, that that was a good case. Because we're we're never off duty as game wardens, you know, you're always working, you know, whether you like it or not. I mean, when I'm hunting, I'm working. I'm looking, you know, I, I haven't encountered too many people in the field, but Eric Fluet and I, you know, one day we were going hunting and I said, Eric... Like the hunt where we got that case going on because we got an illegal bait. I said, I think there's another one in there. So we went up there and hunted, and we found a second illegal bait, and I killed an eight-point buck. It was really good. So not <laughs> off the bait by you. It was, it was quite a ways away. It was like three-quarters of a mile away. So, But I had Eric to help me drag it out, and um, also we, we, we were able to, to start another case. And uh, he made that case the last day of the, the bow season. He worked that, and... Uh, that, that's a that's a story he can tell but it's it's a really good story so we're, we're never off duty as game wardens i always say this and heard me say it, it's a lifestyle you don't you don't hang up your your hat at home and go out it's uh I, I could tell you a few cases i did on my days off because if i didn't get done on my days off they wouldn't get done yeah it's more than a job to us we care about it so much you just uh you live it and yeah. you, you take a lot of pride in it too and and you got that first you care about a lot you know? yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah so you were saying earlier about uh, statute limitation cases. It's three years for a lot of big game violations, mm-hmm. and I recall one that started out by just cruising the internet. It was before Facebook really became popular. Todd Jeff cruising the internet. I just yes. can't see it. Yeah. So, yeah. and uh, I know that several of our guys are big Facebook guys, and this yeah, was now pre Facebook. This was like yeah before yeah. Facebook. So Jeez. Bill Boudreau, he, you know, you've got all your Facebook stuff from me. Um, so I was just cruising a hunting chat and, uh, a picture of a a deer in velvet and a raccoon were at a bait site and it was corn. And well, I knew it was before the baiting season because of, uh, the velvet. Yeah. And the leaves on the trees and so forth. So it had a date of January. Well, I knew it wasn't January and I knew that (laughs) a lot of people are lazy when they put out their trail cameras and they don't change the date. Mm -hmm. So I started doing research and it was um, a name, like a abbreviation for the person's name that turned out to be with a, a date, which turned out to be their year of birth on the, was their post name. Mm-hmm. So I went and researched other posts he had and he said he was from Nashua, which was a town nearby and that he worked for a firearms company. So I started cross-referencing this with other things <laughs> and with our deer registrations Yeah, and it came up with five different people it could be. Yeah. So then I started doing research in just all those five names. 
mm-hmm. I did Google searches on, and I narrowed it down to two people that lived in Nashua. Nice. Um, and then I, what I do when I go out on any of the hunting seasons, I have my my memo book, and I write down license plates. Yeah. So the another post that this gentleman had was from two years previous, and it was about a doe that he'd shot in Zone K in our. New Hampshire people, again, know that our areas are broken up into zones. The it's wildlife by, management unit areas right. all have letters. Yep. Starting from A in the north to M in the south. Is that the last one? Yes. Yep. So yep. so he said he shot this deer in zone K. So I cross-referenced those two names with deer that were registered that year. And there was no deer registered that year under either one of those names. That made me go back and look at the license plates that I've written. I kept my, my books. Nice. And I matched up the name with a license plate. Wow. So that picture that he had posted of a doe, I'm like, hey, that day that he posted it, that he said he shot it, isn't a day that he could shoot that doe because it was uh, a buck-only area at that time. That was another, I had this illegal bait. Now I had this guy in this spot where he shot this deer on this day, but it's a doe that he can't shoot. Another violation. So opening day of that season, I went to where I saw the car. What do you know? Same car sitting there. Creatures of habit. Same car. So I just sit there. I hear a gunshot, and what comes out but him dragging the deer. Guess what deer he was dragging? The oh. one, no, the one from the illegal bait pile. Oh. That he had a picture, had picture of. Up. Yes, that he had posted saying we can't wait for hunting season. Nice. Did he have that deer tagged? It was. It was. It was, but. It was over an illegal bait. It was over an illegal bait that you had proof of prior so, to the season. And right. So what happens is um, it wasn't my bait. Oh, it's not your bait. Well, it doesn't matter um, that it wasn't your bait. You're hunting over it. Yeah. Same tree stand. I matched up basically the photo with tree trees in the background and so forth. So it nice. worked out pretty good. Yeah. And uh, I knew other people that he hunted with. Mm-hmm. And I knew where they were hunting that same day so i went to that spot and one of the guys was hunting on an illegal bait bait there so it snowballed into three cases three cases yep. all in one day right and that was the doe um he said oh i registered that doe because i showed him the picture of it mm-hmm. he goes oh i registered that in a whip switch so of course i go through the records and nope, nope. it wasn't registered anywhere well, what there do people think you're not gonna check oh uh, yeah so i ended up meeting up with him again later and giving him more summonses for the doe that was taken out of season. And I believe that that was two years and like 10 months from when the illegal nice. act happened. So two years further, two months further. Two months, it would have been done. Yep, wouldn't have been able to do anything with it. That's that's what I always appreciated you. You went back and, you know, if I didn't catch him in the first 48, I usually didn't catch him. It makes so. it more difficult. But like I was saying, they forget the story. Right. So one that we did when I first came on with uh, Jim Nealon and he – had covered my area and he had a case where three deer came in at the same time in the same vehicle and we gathered five wardens and went and interviewed all five people that were involved at the same time wow two two and a half years after this happened that's a feat just to get five game wardens together to do that sunday night got them sunday night so we knew everyone would be home so we didn't miss someone that would yeah and uh dave esklin was able to get um one of the guys to say kind of what happened father dave and then we went back to uh, he was a good interviewer, Dave the main man who yeah. who coughed it up, and uh, yeah. it worked out really well. And uh, it 
it turned out that they, you know, everyone's story was different because they couldn't remember. They so couldn't they, remember yeah, the everyone, they told Yes, you. everyone was all over Had the Had it been place. the truth, the truth always stays the right. same. Yeah, yeah, it's memory instead of... And Father Dave, I kind of coined him that because he, he was a good interviewer and everybody seemed to like him and confide in him. And he got some pretty good confessions, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so just had that, that demeanor about him that people liked, so... Well, I know one of the things you like to tell is uh, our snowmobile experience. I was thinking about the director story. That, that, that's uh, that's no, my well, favorite. We can tell that another time. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess my favorite story. It's not my, really my favorite because, you know, when, I, when I, you have to hear the introduction to my show, it says, you know, near-death experiences. And that I, I, that's a near-death experience, Todd, that you experienced. And I, I guess I experienced too, but it wasn't me near death. It was you. So, yeah, it could have easily ended that way, and I was lucky. Uh, yeah, within seconds or within you feet. know <laughs> feet, you you would be dead. Uh, I'll never forget that day because it's still fresh. It seems like it. I can pull it up in my mind and my memory because you branded my brain with it. We were working in, in Clarksville there, and this snowmobile. We got Todd comes up north to to stay with me, and we got lots of snow. And snowmobile you know, only had twelve miles on it. Was brand new. Oh boy. <laughs> Was that one of ours, or did you bring that up with you? No, it was one of yours. I, I believe so. it was uh, retired Lieutenant Stoles. Great, yeah, yes. that, that was great. Just when you ruined the lieutenant sled, yeah. so. But you know, I had this spot over uh, Clarksville. I like to work, and it, it was a it was a really good spot. So we we tucked our sleds in to run some radar, and uh, I uh, the first one was like sixty two, sixty three that I got. And this day it was a really cold and dry day, and we had snow dust. Snow dust like. If you, no one's ever snowmobiled, what happens is when you snowmobile, it kicks up all the, the light snow and everything, and it, it becomes blinding. And the more snowmobiles you have going through it, the more snow dust gets in the air and the less visibility there is. So, And it was early in the morning. It was a cold. It was cold. It, it was morning. very early. I thought 10-ish, I'm thinking. Yeah. And we had just set up. We hadn't been there very long. And, you know, the first one comes along, 63 miles an hour. So I go out after him. Well, I remember you said, I'll get this one. No problem. Just stay here. Yeah. I said, okay, you know what you're doing. And I didn't have a lot of experience on snow machine. We do some training, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't riding daily like you did. Right. Because down in the southern part, you didn't have a lot of wide trails. That trail was a a logging road. It was 14 foot wide. Yeah, it was. So. And people could toot right down that road. It was nice and flat and fast. Got there in the morning, so cold, solid, just that snow dust. So when the first guy goes through, I don't think anything of it. I go out and tag him and, you know, probably pull him over. That was out of sight, you know, half mile down the trail. Well, I, and now I'm just sitting there, and I hear some machines coming. I have the radar, and uh, basically at that time, some guys would make some things to put them in, but I just rested in my lap. Yeah. So here comes one. He comes around the corner, 63. I'm like beautiful, I'm gonna get one too. Yep. Um, so I had time. I pulled. We were kind of hit back into the woods, maybe three or four feet. Mm-hmm. I pulled out so my machine was on the turn my blue lights on on the edge of the trail, hoping that he'd see my blue lights. He'd pull right over. I wouldn't have to go after right. him. Yep. He boosh buzzes right, right by. So I'm like, well, now I'm gotta watch and now see if committed. anyone's coming. Yeah. So I look both ways. And some people are like, yeah, sure, you did. But I did. Mm-hmm. I looked both ways, and then I started pulling out, and then I looked back to make sure no more traffic was coming. And I made it out about halfway, and I got wailed by someone coming right behind the first guy at the same speed. Yeah. And hindsight, he had to be in that 
snow dust snow like dust. you said and i yeah. couldn't see him and he was tucked in right behind him so he was going 63 as well if Absolutely. not faster or just slightly slower and he hit right where your foot goes underneath the cowl and my foot couldn't have been there yet because it would have been gone and i just remember waking not waking up i didn't get knocked out but i remember flying and i just landed across the trail in the woods probably 20 feet <laughs> and it's down probably four or five feet off the trail there and i'm going my leg hurts i go that's not good I go, all right, anything else hurt? I had my eyes closed. I go, no, nothing else hurts. That's good. So then I'm reaching my arm down my leg to feel if it's straight. I go, okay, let's see if it's straight. I put my hand down there. Hey, the leg's straight. This is good. You're doing the body check for yourself. This is crazy, you know? So I, I stand up and I'm looking around and I see someone on the trail walking. I'm like, you all right? He goes, yeah, well, except for my thumb. And his thumb is just kind of dangling there. Bent like totally the opposite way, just hanging. Because he just, he saw me at the very last second and just put on the death grip and he went flying over the front and I went sideways. Yeah. And then he looks and he goes, oh no, because my machine and his machine are still tangled up, but my blue lights are still flashing. Oh, and that's when he sees it. Yeah. Then he knows, uh-oh. Uh-oh, I just hit the game one. So I come hobbling up the trail and i'm like check him out i'm like you all right yeah besides the thumb i think i'm fine and um i make sure he's okay and then i start checking myself out and then i look down at my snowmobile pants there's a big giant hole in it and i look and there's just blood coming out of it at a pretty steady rate (laughs) i'm like that's not good does this where i show up um i sit down no you don't show up yet (laughs) the next snow machine that comes across the trail is the director of fishing game wayne vetter I'm like, are you kidding me? I just got in an accident, and here comes the director. He's the first guy on the scene. I just broke one of his machines. Oh, oh and I'm like, oh, great. He was he was great. Yeah. Um, kind of settled me down a little bit because now I'm realizing what now your happened. adrenaline's dumping, right. and you're yeah. The next person on the scene is you. Yeah. And you come up and you start cackling laughing your ass off you know all i can remember (laughs) is as i'm going down the trail i see this guy hopping in the trail and i'm like what the heck is that guy doing hopping in the trail and i say get closer it's you you're hopping in the trail holding your leg hopping and i'm like what are you doing and just as i do this i look over and i see these mangled sleds and i'm like and i just start laughing because I don't know, it's one of those stupid reactions you have in a critical incident. Because you know, you laugh or you cry. Nice I, friend, huh? <laughs> and I just start laughing at you because you, you know, and you're like, and you get so mad. What are you laughing about? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you want me to do? Laugh or cry, man? And I'm like, so, and I get on the radio, and then I see the directors there. I'm like, oh crap, the director. How, how did? How do you get the director there, huh, Todd? Yeah. Of all, all the places he could have been, he has to be minutes after you crashed in one of the, the state sleds. So. So he gave me a ride out, and I got x-rayed and so forth. I got a bunch of stitches and so forth, but uh, no broken bones. I drank enough milk in my life, Yeah, I guess. you had like, what, nine stitches, ten stitches? I think 12. Yeah, right and there. And basically a compression injury where the machine slapped together and squashed kind of from my ankle to my knee, and I couldn't walk for about two weeks. Mm. I mean, extremely lucky. If I had been a experience. little quicker out there, he would have rear-ended me. Yep. Right up my back. Yeah. Um, you know, I could have got thrown from the machine and hit a tree with you could my have lost head. a leg there if it had yeah. been, you know, because he would have come right into you. I'm a durable employee. You were a very durable employee. Yes. And he pled not guilty to the ticket we issued. Him. He did. He got ticketed for speeding. Mm-hmm. And uh, he pled not guilty, and the judge found him guilty. Yeah. Yep. He had a trial with that. Yep. So 
So, and state police investigated the accident. So, and they were, did they issue the ticket? No, we did. Okay. Yep. And uh, he was from Maine, I believe, and he hadn't had a lot of experience on a machine. And Mm -hmm. uh, my cut was actually from a piece of metal that came off his machine that was kind of on the cowl that punctured my leg. Yeah. So that was was really lucky. Yeah. Yeah, My wife was very sympathetic when I called her. I said, don't worry. I'm in the hospital. I'm fine. I'm just getting stitches. And she goes, okay, when are you going to be home? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah, that's routine. (laughs) (laughs) But I I did go on that night because that was an overtime detail. After I got out of the hospital, I went to the detail and I ran license plates because I was doing my cruiser where it was warm. I I was doing my overtime money. I wasn't not going to get paid for coming up. You came all the way up to visit me, (laughs) making a little extra money, and you know get racked, and you ran plates in the in the cruiser. Yeah, yeah. That that's you know now that I look back, it's one of my favorite Todd Chefcheck stories. But I got so many. So there's some funny ones. Yeah. How about that? Didn't you roll the four wheeler with Doug? I did. That was when I was a trainee with yeah. uh, Doug Relinsky. He take me took me out on a trail that was really set up for four wheelers, and I had a three wheeler. And uh, you know, I shoot. I probably rode one other time in my life on a three wheeler. <laughs> he gave me a two second. This is how you do it. Oh yeah, I've been the, to the Doug. This is how you do it. School. So yeah, so I understand. We're going on a a curved trail on a mountainside, basically, and. The third tire, the front tire, is riding on the hump in the center between the two grooves for the four-wheeler tires. And it's starting to slide off. I'm like, that's not going to be good. So I let off the gas, which I maybe shouldn't have or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the tire went down and the machine started to roll. Well, I am staying on that machine. This is not, I'm going to save it. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't quite work that way. (laughs) I went down this 45-degree pitch as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) <laughs> rolled twice and landed oh. up against the machine with the machine on top of me. Oh. And uh, I think, I'm pretty sure Doug came and pulled it off. Uh, and there was one gentleman behind me, and he goes, I saw it happen, and I like was reaching out. It was in slow motion, and I couldn't stop it. Man. I should have just let the machine go, but uh, I ended up surviving that with a uh, twisted knee, I think. But I was I was all right. A durable employee. Yeah. 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 I got a I'm scar sure in my elbow. a lot of help. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm sure he had a chuckle just like you did when that oh, happened. Man. Can, can, can we can we tell the director story? No. Okay, that's my. Um, fit. That's my but we could tell this one. Just this was record, also that's a my favorite. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Someday you can All tell right. when I'm not around. That's exactly what's going to happen. You know, in the next episode <laughs> of Warden's Watch, I'm going to tell the the director Todd Shefchuk story. So, and you won't be the one telling her. Just remember that. Yep. So I can have all the freedom I want. See, uh, all these little accidents add up to the one big one. So I have these little ones, so I don't have the big one. So well, that's that's good. I yeah. this was another training. It's totally one, a snow machine, near death experience. That's not a big accident. No, uh, no. Okay, Todd. This was one in Salem, and uh, it was the beginning of ice fishing season. It was before New Year's, so it was between Christmas and New Year's, and there was about eight inches of snow on the ice. And I didn't know the ponds, so I'm with a gentleman that no longer. Uh, this is where you get your otter name? Yes, I get yes. the nickname otter. Oh, I, I so, like the story too. There's always two versions of the story, mine being the right one. Of course. Um, so I see the pond. We checked a, a smaller pond earlier, and it was fine where a gentleman was fishing, and he had like six inches of ice. So the people were across this particular pond, Arlington Mill Pond in Salem, I believe. And I'm like, you sure it's safe to go across there? He goes, yeah, it's fine. So, all right. 
My FTO training officer says go. Yeah, it's fine. Six two, what two twenty five? Yeah. So time. I go yeah. tromping across, and you know, with well, yeah, I'm twenty five pounds of gear. Yeah. I'm about thirty yards from shore, and I take my rear foot off the ice, and I plunge through. Loop. And I don't know if I did this, but I always said if I broke the ice, I'd start kicking like you do off a diving board, not to get your head wet. You know, mm-hmm. you jump off and you just kick your legs, and you might stay up. Mm-hmm. Well, and I caught my arms on the ice, and I immediately pushed out and up. And his eyes must have been the size of saucers. Mm, I bet they were. And he's, get down. I'm like, well, that's a good idea. So I lay right down on the ice. He'll be the first one to lose a trainee. That wouldn't have been good. And I start crawling back to shore and I get to shore. And by the time I get to the truck, everything's freezing up. Mm -hmm. I strip right down and I'm bright red. So everything's soaked. And he goes... Man, that would have been terrible to be the first guy to lose a trainee. <laughs> yep, that would have for sure. So at the end of the day, he goes, so Todd, what's the proper way to check the ice? I go out just a couple of feet where you know it's only two or three feet deep and chop a hole chop a and hole. figure out how deep it is. He goes, no, you send a trainee out in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> and he was always a jokester. So. And, and, and hence the nickname he gave you was Otter, right? Yeah, he said, I've never seen someone move so fast in my life. You came out of that water like and an otter. Slid right on the ice like an otter. Yep. No. Todd Chef Jack Otter. That, that's always stuck with you, too, because um, I've always thought that, that kind of stuck with you through my career. I think of you as Otter. Yeah. So yeah. You got you any like a final wrap-up case? You want to tell the director's story? Uh, no. Okay. Um, yeah, we could go with, uh, this is my wife's favorite story, actually. And it's not a, uh, I should have your kids talk about this stuff too. Cause yeah. each one of them has their own favorite story. So I'm on the Merrimack river in my boat and there's in the Merrimack, there's spots where you can go full speed. And then there's spots where there's rocks and you know, you got to really pick your way through. And this one day I didn't go my typical route and, um, I wanted to check out an Island on the other side. I'm like, yeah, I can still get through there, but you know, I can't go with a motor. So I pulled the motor up and just had it as a rudder. So it was only in the water two or three inches. And I'm on the front of the front paddling through and pushing off rocks. Well, that little two or three inch piece that was my rudder in the back didn't work too good except for to catch a rock as I'm on the front of the boat. Stop the boat dead. Well, it didn't stop me dead. I did a somersault right into the water. Plunk. Yeah, kerplunk. Four foot of water. So you could stand up at least. I stood right up. Yeah. But when I got in the boat, I was missing my pager. Boy, and we know well, you lose any equipment and headquarters uh, is going to eat you alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, damn it, I got to find that pager. So I didn't have um, the equipment at that time to get it. So I got my back to my trailer. I got my boat, went home. My wife's home. It, it was the summer. And uh, I grabbed my snorkel and my mask in a bathing suit. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you grabbing that stuff for? And I just say, don't worry about it. And I take off. Well, she's pretty inquisitive when I get home. So I get back to the river, do the little snorkeling trip. And what do I do? I find the pager. I, I don't know how you did that because that's like a needle in a haystack type of situation. Hey, hey, and this, I dried it out. And by some miracle, the thing still worked. Oh, my goodness. that That, <laughs> that is a miracle. And I did win, uh, I believe that year, what my district has is the Horse's Ass Award. And uh, it's the attention getter of the year. So at the end of the year, we have a dinner and everyone tells stories about what happened and uh, the wives of all the guys vote on who has the best story. So 
That was one of the years I did that, win. That was the one year you yeah. won. Yeah. And didn't you like tell like Boudreaux and he was supposed to swear not to tell anybody and then he told everybody? Uh, no, that was Dave Walsh. Oh, it was Dave yes, Walsh. Yes, okay, Dave Walsh. Yes, you know? yes. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was somebody that you told. He and- said that he had just transferred, I believe, and he said it only counted when he was in the other district and because he moved districts, he could tell the story. <laughs> Making up the rules as he goes along. Oh, man. Yeah. No, that, that that that's hilarious. So yeah, well, uh, you I know, got one more. I gotta you, tell. Okay, this no, is where I'm, the snowballing of cases. I love that when you get one thing and it snowballs into two or three. Yeah. So I'm just checking hunters one day, checking a license, and this license had one drop of blood on it. I mean, not like nice. a big drop of blood. It had a drop of blood. Was it fresh? Um, no, it was dried. It was dried. It was dried. So I'm like, why is there blood on here? Oh, and the guy started when I he was was not nervous until I asked him that, and then mm. he started getting all nervous. And there was another guy in the car. And golden rule: separate your interviews. Don't let them hear what's going on and separate them. So if they haven't talked about it, their stories are going to be terrible. Yeah. And you see that on all these other police shows, not just Game Warden stuff, where absolutely the drug interdiction stuff. Yep. The stories never match. No. Nope. We're going to Cincinnati. Yep. No, we're going to Cleveland. Exactly. <laughs> You know, they can't keep it straight. So it, uh, I look in the back of the truck they're in, and there's blood in the back of the truck. So where'd the blood come from? Mm. Um, and the two stories didn't match. One was, oh, is this guy? Oh, is this guy? Did you find deer hair too? Um, there probably was, I'm sure, yeah. but there was definitely blood there. Yeah. So I got the gentleman with the blood on the license. He confessed that he had shot a deer the weekend before. And um, he still wanted to hunt, so he called his buddy to register it. It wasn't the hmm. the other guy in the car. So he coughed it up. I go, well, you know, I'm going to go talk to that guy. So I go talk to that guy. He's not even a deer hunter. He's a duck hunter. He goes, he told me I'd never get caught for that, and people do it all the time. <laughs> I know something that he did. Uh-oh. So he coughs up another thing that the guy with the blood on the license did. Yeah, And he was working a construction site down in Massachusetts. And shot a deer with a rifle in September, which is well before their season. Wow. And had buried it at another guy's house. Oh, my goodness. So I was more than happy to take that information. Absolutely. Yes. So I contact the Massachusetts warden. I have so he buried it at a house in Massachusetts, too? No, the okay. deer was buried, the rack, in, in New Hampshire. Okay. But uh, so contact the mass warden. I had a confession mm-hmm. written under Miranda. Yeah. Uh, it was beautiful. Wow. It, it worked out great. Perfect case. Yes. So he got, I believe he got whacked by Massachusetts down there right. for, for cases down there. So then the guy that buries the deer, I get, I it turns out to be the guy in the truck originally. So not the guy with the blood, the second guy in the truck when I first stopped them. Oh, wow. Yes. So I end up getting a case on him too <laughs> for having the illegal deer, which he knew about, which he lied about when I had interviewed right. him the first time that he knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So it was beautiful. No, that's yeah. Great. So I got really four cases out of one. Yeah, and just from a starting with a spot of blood. Yeah, I mean and that all it takes is observation or something that just you well, know. game wardens. You got to be curious and you yeah. got to be inquisitive. And if you aren't, um, you're going to miss a lot. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't hurt to ask the question. No, no, absolutely. And based on the answer, you know which way to go. Yeah, yeah. No, it's awesome. You miss it. Um. I've been retired coming up to two years, and this past fall I missed a bit of it, um, but not more than I didn't miss. Yeah. So I missed that initial chase, being in the know, uh, the camaraderie of courses is something you miss. Yeah. 
but uh yeah i had a i i feel like i had a decent career and um, made a name for myself i believe i was the longest warden that stayed in this patrol in history that, uh, that one may have been here longer but he it was a supervisor in the end mm-hmm. so but yeah yeah i would Proud say by today's um operation game thief you you know we were at, we we're at a show here in milford and uh you wanted me to count how many times people asked about you and i got three and it was wasn't a whole lot of people so that, that that says a lot actually two of them had cases that you were involved with that they were involved with and uh so uh that was that was kind of neat to to hear that so and uh yeah i think you left a legacy todd i think you make it made an imprint so yeah so uh do you, do you have anything else before we wrap up because uh um i do this was another with all the hunters out there now with these trail cameras this is towards the end of my career oh i remember this is a great case um so a gentleman registered a deer at a sporting goods store where they take pictures and everyone gets to see it on the internet mm-hmm. and uh it's uh, a good 40 minutes 45 minutes north of my area where this is well and a lot of guys like to go look on the pictures and see the deer and go wow ooh. Mm-hmm. well one particular person went and saw the picture and he goes i have a picture of that deer on my trail camera and it's from a town that's 45 minutes south of that and there's no question that that is the same deer because it kind of had a distinct rack. distinct rack it was oh. a it was an older deer as only a nine pointer but tines on it like 14 inches long wow so it was nice. and two sides weren't quite symmetrical so ironically this gentleman that shot the deer was a logger and was logging down in my patrol huh so i go to the log yard after i figured all this out he'd i'd gotten a, a call on it saying that he thought this deer was taken down in milford and uh the registration was with a rifle and in my town of milford that i covered you can only shoot him with a shotgun hmm. so i went to the log yard and here he is in the skitter and we start having a chat and uh He's not very forthcoming at first. I go, well, you know. He's evasive, huh? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shocking. But uh, it didn't take long with some of the evidence that I provided that uh, we need to go take a walk. There's some people that aren't too happy with you because it's a deer that someone's been hunting down here, and I got right. a picture of it. And um, I go, you have a gun right here with you? And he's like, not today, but I, I have. And all right, I'll tell you the truth. Mm. You know, this is probably after 15 minutes of back and forth of right. where he shot it and given the whole story. And I always like to have them tell their lie or tell their story Absolutely. first, the Lock whole thing. Into something yep. and then pick it apart. So um, he ends up shooting it with a rifle in the town and registered up there. And he just said it was so big he, he couldn't resist. He just it, it got the moment got a hold of him. Mm. And I do believe that that was the case, but he still had a rifle with him. In a shotgun. It, yeah in a skitter waiting yeah. you know so um who knows yeah um but and we have our opportunists you know yeah. the, some some guys aren't born poachers out there looking for it but when opportunity arises it's hard to say no to that big buck that just stepped out there even though it's a shotgun yeah. town and all you have is a rifle so that's you know part of our uh, enforcement was up op- right. uh, i'd say half of it was opportunists just something came that they couldn't resist right no, that, that, those are awesome stories, and, they, and really, thanks for sharing with us. Yeah, wrapping up, I think uh, you had an awesome career, and it was a thanks. pleasure doing my career the same time you did. Yeah, we have a lot of fun while we're doing it, and uh, we all have stories very similar to Todd. Someday I'll tell that director's story when you're not here, because so, that, that is my favorite story. Thanks again. So that was episode 16, Pod Chef Jack. Sergeant Conservation Officer, District 4, 
who also traveled around the state doing the job of a state game warden. And the next up is his, his kids. We have Lindsay, his eldest, who was born when we were trainees. We have Kyle and we have Brian. Those are kids that actually have lived the game warden life and have that experience. So if you want to tune out, I totally understand. If you guys are interested in what the family you know, is, is all about and some of the backstory, and if you are, if you like it, you know, let me know because I want to bring things that you want to listen to. If this is something that you didn't care for, maybe I do it as a bonus round. Maybe I don't incorporate it into a podcast, so to speak. I, I always take input from the people out there listening. It's very important to me to try to bring you what you want to hear to. Jen Wolf from Michigan, I had several requests. I'm like, not several, but probably numerous requests to interview a female game warden. Jen filled those shoes for me. There will be other female game wardens coming. I am trying to integrate all kinds of things. We're going to have some search and rescue interviews that I think you're going to find interesting because maybe I found them interesting. These interviews to me, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat sometimes. But this was fun. When I got done Todd's interview, I went into the kitchen. The kids were talking and laughing and just reminiscing. And I'm like, you know, let, let's let's get the microphones out. Let's plug them all in and let's let's do a recording. And again, remember this is my third recording. It's uh, probably not the best quality you're going to hear, but I hope you find it entertaining and get some back insight into Todd and his family. So I'm doing a follow-up interview now with the, the Shefchek children, Todd Shefchek's children, that have experienced the game warden life. So first-hand, real. We have Lindsay, the eldest, right, Lindsay? Oh, yeah. And how old? 23. You were pretty much born the whole time your dad was a game warden, because I remember when I was a trainee, you were born. Oh, yeah. I was. He was probably a year, maybe two, when I was born into the fishing game. And then we have Kyle, who is? 20. 20. So you get to experience quite a bit of the fishing game life. For sure. Yeah. And then Brian, you came along. I'm 15. 15. Little gap there, you know. And you were a baby while this was all occurring. Yep. Yeah. But still remember here, there, and everything. Sure. For sure. What's your first memories, uh, Lindsay, of your dad as a game warden? Oh, there's been a ton of things. I probably, they're out of order at this point. But a big thing I remember is in the middle of the night, we know we had school in the next day but if there was snowstorm we were like oh the school's not calling to have a snow day if the phone rang that means dad's being called out on a search so we were like oh dad time to get up like yelling from our bedrooms in the middle of the night you were doing that yeah like maybe two three in the morning every once in a while we knew it was a search for him he had to go search for someone either lost or hurt something just roll over in bed Kyle and yell at him no, I, I remember that too. It's either yeah. a call from our grandmother or he's getting called out to Mount Monadnock. Your grandmother search. calls in the middle of the night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. That's stuff I just don't want to get into, isn't there? Oh, yeah, yeah uh, definitely not. Uh, and, and animals, I mean. Oh, dad, so many. He brought everything home? A decent amount. We've had, we've had lobsters, owls, rattlesnakes. You didn't eat the lobsters, did you? No. Uh, it would be like a lobster that accidentally ended up at a supermarket that had eggs yeah so you can't <laughs> egg bearing lobsters them. yeah so they bring them home and i remember it was in a cooler and be careful with it it had the things on the 
uh, claws. Yeah. So it didn't pinch you. And I was super worried about it. I was probably 10 at the time. And I, he's like, pick it up slowly and we'll take a picture. I have a picture somewhere actually in the living room of me holding the lobster. And you can see all the eggs in the underbelly. You still have that picture? Somewhere, yeah. Oh, I'd love to dig that up. Yeah, Lindsay was a little bit more brave with me with the animal. Uh, well, when she was, was handling snakes. She's yeah. like a snake girl. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't even go close to them at first. Now I would. You don't mind snakes now? Oh no. When I was five, I would stay far away from them. Oh. I'd be like, Kyle, it's okay. Yeah, I'm like you can fifty. Pet the I middle. want to stay far away from them yeah. too. You know, <laughs> your dad bring any really big snakes home or anything? Right. We had a red tail boa for a while. And how yeah. big did that get? Probably five. Five or six feet, yeah. Five or six feet. Wow. Hanging out in the house. Oh, yeah. Yep. Def- well, in a cage, but mm-hmm. it got too big for the tank we had. So we he like knew somebody who would take it. Mm-hmm. He was like, well, I don't I have too many snakes. So will you take another one? So we ended up with a boa that was probably around two feet long when we got it. And when we got rid of it, it in half. Mm. A little snake tree. Little snake tree. <laughs> wow. I didn't know your dad liked snakes that much. So you ever bring any like uh, the... the timber rattlers that are native new hampshire did you guys ever end up with those no i don't think so but he i think he brought home some rattlesnakes that weren't allowed to be pets and then oh. while we were waiting for like a recreational group to take them they would stay at our house and the cat would like play with it well not play with it outside the tank and just watch it yeah watch it outside the oh, tank yeah. he didn't know what he was watching did he yeah, we, were, we were in charge of like making sure the snake didn't get out, but we had stuff on top so it wasn't going to get out. Uh-huh. But we were young enough to be like, we're in charge of this. So we got home from school. You make sure the snake it. was still in yeah. the, th- oh, the yeah. thing and, and the cat was sitting there staring at the snake. Pretty cool when you go to school and you get to tell all your friends here. You have a rattlesnake at <laughs> you your house. Yeah. house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you the kids thought you were the coolest kids. Oh, yeah. They had rattlesnakes at their house and that was the truth too. That's mm-hmm. scary. <laughs> Oh, man. Did, did the kids ever give you a hard time at school? Um, some kids. So throughout high school, you have those kids that they're raised uh, sometimes not fall, not learning the rules, the correct way and ethic to uh, do some stuff. A game warrant's always in their hometown. And uh, so you have those kids that keep running to your dad and they find out that your dad's the game warrant giving him all the tickets that are costing them money. So then they give you a hard time. But... Never, never really did I feel like they're actually trying to give me a hard time because my dad was a game warden. They just knew. Well, you're oh. always taller than they were, weren't you? Oh Kyle? yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no one can see this, but Kyle, well, how tall are you? Six five. Six five. Yeah. You think you're done growing? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I grew my dad a long time ago. Yeah, I was gonna say, and Brian's coming up behind too. Yeah, I'm almost six feet, not though. Almost six feet at fifteen. And then I'm the oldest, and I'm five six, so I'm much shorter than all of you're them. You're the runt. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm the oldest, but I'm the and run. I'm the oldest, so. Uh, you'd even make it up to your mother's height. No. Your mother's pretty tall, too. She blames it on coffee. That you drink coffee too early in your life? Yeah. I'm the only you one in the household s- that does. You stunted your growth yeah. so, with mm-hmm. coffee. So, And I know your dad doesn't drink coffee. He drinks hot cocoa. Yeah, hot yeah. cocoa. They call him yeah. cocoa. So yeah, I friends. call him cocoa, too. I was like, <laughs> you, you don't drink coffee, Todd? You know, that's kind of, that's kind of, you're a game warden. You don't drink coffee? No, I drink cocoa. I'm like, I'm not even going to tell people that, but now I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with those home calls at two in the morning, he's like, oh, I need some hot cocoa to wake up. Yeah, hot cocoa really wakes you up. So, uh, any any incidents that stand out in your mind over your your childhood? And there's a a big one that my dad likes to talk about a lot. It was like one of his really revelating moments. I think in his career, towards the end of it, he went up to the 
top. I think of it was Mananok, and some guy had a heart attack at the top of the mountain. They had to go up and rescue him, and on the way down, they had, I think, an AED on him, and throughout the time coming down the mountain, they had to revive him two, maybe three times wow. the whole time. And he, you can see pictures at the end. He would show me and Kyle and Brian the pictures of the heart when he was having the cardiac arrest or when he got to the hospital, and after... Whether they had either a surgery or his, they fixed it somehow and the heart flow afterwards, a cardiogram. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy to see, see that. And sometimes people don't realize that fishing game does more than just give tickets and make sure people have their fishing licenses right. and yeah. patrol through the woods. They're really there to save people's lives. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really cool to like be able to tell my friends like, hey, my dad say, like will save people's lives. He saved this guy's life coming down from this mountain. And did he become even more popular when he got on TV? Oh yeah, oh, people would come up, come up to me and ask if my dad was on that show. And say, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a guy with the binoculars. With the binoculars, yeah. he's he's the real warden's watch. You know? Oh yeah. If you look at my logo, it's the game warden with the binoculars. Oh, that's they, There's your dad. You know. <laughs> Always watch, and I think that's a, that's so true with all wardens. We're always watching and mm-hmm. trying to figure things out and what's going on. And and I, one of the things I always liked, I, I was you know uh, Brian. He always watches Brian's uh, baseball games from afar. He'll sit up on some hill, and I'm not sure which baseball diamond it is, but I call him sometimes. And I'll be like, "What are you doing?" It's like uh, I'm watching Brian's game, and he has the binoculars on. And he's watching the game from afar because yeah. he he's, he's supposed to be working, but he can't stand it. So puts himself in a spot where he can uh, watch the game and maybe watch something else too. But, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he's got a bird's eye view, and uh, you know he get all fired up. And you know, one time I called him, and he was actually Brian was up to bat, and he hit, I forget you hit a base run. He gets all excited, he drops the phone, he drops. It sounds like you know he's hooting and hollering in the because he does hoot and holler a lot, doesn't he? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Especially when it comes to sports. So he's got that uh, whistle that it stands out from everyone. Does he? He's that annoying parent in the grandstands, isn't he? Oh yeah. And he's yelling at the refs all the time, isn't he? Yeah. Ever get ejected from a game? Did he? He, no, no, no. Me, maybe. Me, you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I remember one instance. Um, I think I was playing first base in college, or not college, high school. And I knew he was at work, and he usually comes to my game. So I was like, oh, I know he's not going to be here at this game. And all of a sudden, behind my ear, I'm like, I know that yell. I know someone's yelling specifically at me. And I turn around really quickly, and it's him and I'm in his uniform and everything. And he just popped in for, like, just a few minutes just to, like, show his face and that like as a kid like we know he's out a lot at fishing game he's out doing everything that he does for fishing game and it's really special that he even if he's just passing by really quickly he just makes his face known he's just like hey i'm here really quickly but i'm here to watch you guys and that's really important to us that even though he's super busy with fishing game he still shows his face and yeah. we see him all the time does it ever feel like you're an extension of the game wardeness oh of course yeah I, i've said that uh that when your dad's a gay warning, your whole family's a gay warning because part of part of the agency because uh, you you know what he's going through every day. You see him get up in the green uniform and go out and. He, you know, game wardens miss out on some stuff just because they're trying to protect wildlife and uh, people's lives. Uh, whether it's baseball games or basketball games, they need to be doing their job, and it's very important. But uh, they try. My dad definitely tried to make it work throughout our our lives and our high schools, but. Uh, it's definitely hard when you have so much responsibility at home and it's such an important job to the, uh, New Hampshire that you have to fulfill. One yeah, of the, one that was of the, very well said. <laughs> one of the most important things I've learned about Game Wars is they're very good at knowing when you're lying. So, when you so have did a, he use those <laughs> tactics on you guys? Oh, definitely. Very, very well. Definitely, huh? Yeah. We can never get by anything. Even I remember as a kid, like, 
I didn't brush my teeth one night. And he goes, you brush your teeth? And I'm like, and he's just like, I know you're lying. I'm a fishing game officer. <laughs> I know. I know I didn't brush my teeth. Yeah. And, and he caught you at a lie, Kyle? Oh, he has many times before. And they, game ones have connections all over. So, so he knew if he's not getting it from me, did. oh, yeah. He's hearing, he's hearing it from 10 other people in the town. Anything that stands out in your mind, like brushing your teeth? Probably uh, skipped that one. Maybe some parties that uh, oh, yeah. uh, some officers knew about it, and it loops around in my dad some way or another. Yes, yes, I can see where that would get his attention. And the so. last name's so odd. It's Chef Chick. It's Chef Chick. crazy spelling. I so. call him Alphabet. <laughs> how, many, how many names have Zs in them, huh? Two How Z's. many names have two, two Z's? Z's? Yeah. And one vowel. Oh, my goodness. I just I call you dead Alphabet, so... <laughs> Yeah, the second called, you hear that, I was called checks mix for a while. <laughs> I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you want to jump in here? I know you're the youngest, the quietest, the least experience of. Uh... Oh no, not really. No. <laughs> you, you ever been to the Walmart with your dad and people stop and ask him questions? Um, no. I mean, going back to like the him being on TV. I have a few of my friends that come up to me ask me, like, oh, I saw your dad on TV last. Oh, was your dad on cool? Yeah. Just different than, like... I- I'm sure it's something he never planned on doing, so... Yeah. I don't think he wanted to plan on doing it either. Uh, no, no. He would have gone to Hollywood for that. Yeah. So, but uh, certainly a pretty unique pretty unique thing. Yeah. I feel like at his age, he's just getting to the point where he's starting to drive and everything, and when... You're talking we, about Brian, not your father, right? Yes, Brian. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and so um, when me and Kyle had a lot of interactions with our friends running into dad, they mm-hmm. had already had their licenses, so they were doing uh, snowmobiling a lot. They could hunt on their own, and he's right. just starting to get to that point in his life yeah. where they might, and since dad's retired now, that they might recognize the name, but not necessarily run into him. Right. And I would agree because uh, my son's 12 years old and, you know, not a lot of interaction. As a matter of fact, he's never done a ride along with me or anything. So do you guys get an opportunity to jump in the cruiser with dad and actually work with him a day or so? Um, I've been I've been asked before and I've always wanted to uh, go help out and volunteer on Mount Mananoc. But I, I was always so busy with sports that I never got the opportunity. Right. And uh, early on in my age... I had a passion to become a, a game warden or a police officer mm-hmm. just because looking up to my dad so much, uh, it really put that in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. But as time went on, I, I just uh, kind of drifted away from that, went down a different educational path. I Nothing was, wrong with that. Yeah. I was similar to that. When I first went into college, I um, was wildlife ecology and I was like, I'm going to do just what my dad did. I'm like super outdoorsy. As Kyle said earlier, I'm really into the animals and I love to find them after just to always go and look under rocks for whatever I could and I started going into it being I want all these animals and everything and a lot more to the job than the animals is the people's perspective mm-hmm. and since we were the kids we got to handle a lot of the animal realize as much of the dealing with a lot of people and when we when I got into the classes I was like oh dealing with the people might be not my forte I like to deal with kids better so I'm now we're going into education rather than the wildlife ecology law enforcement mm-hmm. I still tell myself I'm an uh, engineering major now I still tell myself if it doesn't work out or if I don't find it enjoying that you got something to fall back on. There's always game being a game warrant to fall back on. And I think I, doing that job, I'd have fun every day. And it would be, I am still passionate about it, but you never know where life will take you. Absolutely. Brian, any, any ideas? 15 years old? Yeah, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do, but uh, I've always thought about doing something with animals. I like nature and all the animals he's brought home. Like I've learned so much from it, but I'm not really sure. 
Hopefully something with animals, though. Now, it's pretty awesome to see that he's instilled all this stuff in you guys over the years and uh, had an had a outstanding career of catching people and probably one of the best investigators uh, I've ever known. You know, he just won't, he's relentless. So yeah. oh, Great never, work ethic. He can right. never right. let anything go. No. I know that he was telling a story at one point, and it was probably a couple-year-old story, and this one guy, something illegal with a cat, that was he wasn't supposed to have it was like a uh, it was an exotic cat, cat. Yes. it was an exotic cat and this guy kind of got away with the genetics of the cat and my dad was like five years later he was like I'm still on you I'm there to like find any evidence and he finally found some evidence and the guy ended up having to relinqu- relinquish the savannah cat because it wasn't supposed to be domesticated right yeah I remember that case well he just wouldn't get a let it let it go he kept digging and digging and digging and so. That's what I always remember about your dad keeping those files right till the last day of the statute's mm-hmm. of limitations. And you would know when he uh, closes a case because he would come home, Pumped. big, big grin, grin on his face, and everything. He would tell us all about it. Absolutely, that's, I, that's the ten put, point buck we put on the walls, the, the poachers and the bad guys we catch. Yeah, exactly. I think we still have several filing cabinets upstairs before they went to digital of just like papers. It's the yellow papers. Mm. They're everywhere. They're just filed and they're so organized and they're just like several filing cabinets in the attic yeah no he went and grabbed a couple files folders to review things when i was talking i'm like i wish i could do that because i don't keep my files like that so <laughs> but i think i have a better memory than he does too <laughs> he needs those files yeah absolutely anything you guys want to say in closing oh, it's been an op- awesome opportunity to have him in fishing game because we're so involved in everything that he does and you sometimes don't think of the everyone around someone who is in fishing game you just think of that one person but it's everyone all together as kyle said earlier it's the whole family dynamic yeah and when he retired it's kind of like we all took a breath and kind of retired with him because now that you don't see him waking up in the green suit every day and missing games now he can go to all brian's games without even thinking about it he does yeah (laughs) yeah he does and he yells he's loud and uh yeah it it is a it was a little bit of a shock when he retired and it's kind of like wow he's done done with it and you don't really it doesn't really settle in for a while that he's no he he's still part of being a game warner for forever i think yeah but seeing him not wear the suit anymore anything is uh it took a while to get used to and having him around a lot it took, took a while to get used to that too uh, he's definitely around all the time now and it's great it's great but then sometimes you're like okay go do what you need to do <laughs> yeah and i think you're right once a game warden always a game warden yeah. oh, always thinking that always trying to think of a case so you can give it to that next guy and i definitely think it stresses him out when he uh knows something's going on in the district or something and uh he just has to say he has to leave has it to, to the other ga- uh, new game warden the young one the young yeah. guys that's tough to do you know when a season like deer season or muzzleloader season or shotgun season has come around you know because he's all antsy because he can't be out there getting everything ready and looking out for people and making sure licenses are there you know when the season starts because he gets antsy about it that's that's too funny well it is pretty cool that he got to go out for the opening day for the first time and probably ever 20 yeah 20 something years or ever Yeah. yeah ever yeah yeah that's that's very unique yeah he'd be out like every other day hunting and he liked it but mom definitely didn't <laughs> yeah the season would start and you wouldn't see him for like four or five days uh, and we, we we're kind of used to that but after him being retired for like a year or so and then all of a sudden him being gone you're like where is he oh it's it's hunting season hunting still in the woods yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm sure he's always keeping an eye out for what's going on and what's going wrong oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. 
Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and talk to you about your dad and your life as a game warden family. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other game wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.